Okay, well, welcome back. I, I hope we, we, you know, got all that social stuff out of the way. No, no, we, we can't wait to be back together. We're working on some plans to come back together and um, do that in a way that loves God, loves others, and honors the gospel. And so we are looking forward to sharing those with you soon. Moms, this is your day. And I know this is the weirdest, strangest Mother's Day you've probably ever had. Because you're at home, you've been at home, and... Um, it's just hard. So we want to show a video that has some funny things that maybe have happened in the last seven, eight weeks, and then some, some people from our own church that have shared about their mom and some of the things their mom has taught them. And so let's put, roll that video. Leona Wilson, I just want to express how much I love her, admire, and greatly appreciate how just amazing, intelligent, and musically awesome she is. And I just want to say thank you, Mom. I love you with all my heart. chance to laugh a little bit at some of the very things I've heard some of you say in the last eight weeks, but also realize that you are appreciated. Um, I admire and respect the way that you are still finding a way to teach your kids and train your kids, 
through some really strange times. And the flexibility and some of the creative stuff I've seen has been amazing. And so moms, hang in there. You're doing a great job. And hopefully today gives you a, a little bit of strength and energy as we go forward. I'd like to pray for all the moms that are here and, and that are watching this morning. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Lord God, our Father, I lift our moms up to you. And um, Lord, thank you for how you have designed the family. Thank you for, for giving us moms with the strengths and the care and the guidance they have, Lord, the wisdom they have, the, the discipling that they do. Lord, these things are, are God-ordained in the family, and we praise you for them. And so, Lord, we thank you for our moms. Lord, I, I pray for our moms and that, that are in all kinds of dis, different situations. We have moms that are um, trying to do this on their own, Lord, and I pray for strength for them. Lord, we have moms that I know have, have lost um, loved ones and lost their moms this year or lost babies this year, and so, Lord, our heart breaks for them. Our heart mourns for them and with them. Lord, I pray for the moms of all types that we have. We have um, moms of young children, moms of teenagers, moms of adult children, Lord, and each of those require a different style of mothering, and, and so we pray for them. Lord, I pray for our foster moms who are stepping into the gap in some amazing ways, and, and Lord, trying to, to heal some of the hurt and, and to love these young ones. Lord, we have adoptive moms that are doing an amazing job of showing us the way that you adopt us and love us, Lord. Lord, we have spiritual moms all over the place at Village that are still giving input and still giving advice and encouragement, Lord, and I pray for them that you would keep them sharing their, their wisdom with us, Lord. Help them to know how appreciated they are. Thank you, God, for Mother's Day where we have a chance to honor moms. Lord, may it not be just today, but today be a, a special reminder and a special focus, Lord. So I lift our moms up to you. Give them strength for the days ahead, whatever those bring. In your precious name, amen. Thank you, moms. Happy Mother's Day, and happy Mother's Day to my mom and to my wife, who is, um, I, I saw my kids hugging you during great time, and that um, warms my heart. And so, um, happy Mother's Day. Today we're actually going to continue with 1 Thessalonians. Sometimes we do a special Mother's Day and Father's Day message, and we just talked about Paul ministering like moms and then ministering like dads. And especially while we're apart, I really wanted to, to continue through 1 Thessalonians. I will say this. Moms, I know some of you are maybe upset because no chocolate bars today or no flowers today. It just wasn't a, good, it wasn't a great way to do that. That is not forgotten. So moms, rest assured, when we do get back together, we will remember you and we will have something for you. So you'll get another Mother's Day this year. So just, you know, rather than missing out today, think of it as looking forward to something. But we want to look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 today. And, and you probably heard a lot of the songs we're talking about the same thing. And we're going to be talking about hope and encouragement today which are great themes for Mother's Day and, and so much of what a mom provides for the family, but hope and ultimate encouragement. And so today, we want to think through, okay, what is Paul teaching the Thessalonians? And I think it helps us to understand what they might be thinking. We're fascinated with what happens at the end of life, right? Uh, or, or what happens in the next life. And so I remember growing up and there were all these talks about the end times and when the rapture was and millennium and all these things. And there's a chart on the back of your notes. 
But it looks as if the Thessalonians hadn't, have got, hadn't gotten most of the teaching. In fact, they were very, very concerned about those in the church after the church was founded that accepted Christ and those in the church that died before Jesus returned. And the idea appears to be of what Paul is dealing with is it seems like there was this growing idea that if you died before Christ returned, you just lost out. You missed the boat. You don't get to spend eternity with Christ. That's only for the people that are alive when he returns. And Paul had heard this report from Timothy, and he had heard some of the things going on, and he wanted to correct that. He wanted to, to give them a hope, because that would be a very discouraging place to be. If your mom or your dad passed away and they were a believer and, and you thought that they missed eternity with Christ, and you thought that you would never see them again, that's a really challenging place to be. You know, even, even today when we come to funerals, you can tell the ones that have hope and the ones that don't, Right? And I've done funerals for unbelievers, and I've done funerals for believers, and they are a completely different mindset. The ones for unbelievers don't, you talk a lot about their life and maybe their legacy, and, and, and there's some wonderful memories there, but it's, it's, there's a shallowness because there's no hope for what's next, because life just ends to them. They, they don't understand what might happen. There is no hope of eternity with Christ and, and a joyous reunion. But then memorials that I've done for believers, and, and we've done a, a lot of them here, while there's still sorrow and there's still grief, those are amazing times of understanding that this is just a temporary separation. And there's an incredible hope that comes through knowing what the future hold, holds after death, but also for any of us at the end of time. And so we, we come to that context, we come to the text today as Paul tries to give us some teaching and, and tries to, uh, to give the Thessalonians some teaching and help them understand what's next and not be discouraged about what's next. You know, a, a typical grave insp- inscription at the time of Paul that they would have been familiar with was, I was not, I became, I am not, I care not. Okay, it's, it's really simple, but, but let me just say that again, because this typifies a, a world's approach to not understanding that there's life after death. I was not, I became, I am not, I care not. And Paul is, is taking this young church that he has birthed and he has founded and trying to help them see that's not right. That's, that, there's no hope there. There's no future there. There's no meaning to life there. That is not how God intended it to be. So as we talk about hope today and encouragement in, in death, in the ultimate of situations, we also understand that these are the same ideas that will give us hope in difficult situations, in, in things that are not as uh, extreme as death, but in situations we face on a daily basis, in situations we're in now. And so today is a, a text that I hope gives us a lot of encouragement. Now I know that this is a familiar text. I know that we have used this to understand the rapture, and we have used this as a glimpse into end times. And, and we're going to do a little bit of that today, but today I want to stay true to the, the understanding of what Paul is trying to get across in the text. He's not trying to give us a theological lecture on the rapture. He gives us some, some insights, some glimpses, and with, with what comes next and, and, and what comes in the future, we just get glimpses. And we try to make these solid cases and hold on to something. We just get glimpses. But what Paul is trying to do here 
is really focused on hope and encouragement. In fact, he starts the section with that. He ends the section with that. And so today, our, our main point is going to be looking at that how Paul is giving us comfort, how he's giving us hope by assuring us that all believers, whether dead or living, will be raised with Jesus and be with him forever. Paul gives comfort, assuring us that all believers, whether dead or living, will be raised with Jesus and be with him forever. Is there any better hope? You know, as we sang song after song that talked about that today, man, just just hope welled up in my heart, understanding what is coming. So turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And we're going to explore this text from the context of hope and encouragement and see what Paul is, is trying to help them understand. Verse 13 says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And right from the start, he's using this familial language again, brothers and sisters you can put in there. And he doesn't want them to be uninformed about this topic. Now, this is a different phrase than he's used elsewhere in 1 Thessalonians. Usually he says something like, now concerning this, or now concerning this. And those are things that they know about. Those are things he's maybe correcting a little bit of a belief, or they've heard about. But this is the one place where he says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be without knowledge on this. And so this is an issue that they haven't gotten yet, okay? And, and they're, they're dealing with all those beliefs, like I said, that what if the people that have gone before, what if there's no hope for them? What if they're just either non-existent or whether they're in hell? I, who knows what they were believing? But they needed to understand God's plan. Paul would not let them go on without hope the hope in Jesus Christ. And so he says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And he's using a euphemism there for death. And we we use that sometimes, right? We say, oh, they've passed away or they've gone home. Um, That doesn't mean that they went home to to Anaheim. It means if someone's gone home to be with the Lord, that means they've passed away, they've died. And Paul is using something like that of those who are asleep. This was a common way in in not only the Bible, but in other writings to refer to to death. But he's he's using different ways of talking about it. I I say all that because sometimes I've seen whole theologies made on on that word asleep. And we have the theology of soul sleep, that the the soul just becomes non-existent for that period of time, or, or it just sleeps for that period of time and then wakes up when Jesus comes back. That's an interesting discussion that we can have elsewhere in Scripture, but you don't use this verse to support that because that's not what this verse means, and that's not what this word means. And so he's just saying, I don't want you to be, to be without knowledge about those that have died. And he goes on, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And there we get point number one, the first thing that he's, he's wanting to talk about about hope. Hope floods into our grief Because we know believers who have died will be raised to life with Jesus. Hope floods into our grief because we know believers who have died will be raised to life with Jesus. And what Paul is saying here is is we don't grieve the same way. We have a hope that just covers, that infuses the grief. Not that we we don't grieve still. Not that we don't miss people. But it is substantively different when we're believers when we know that the future is bright because the future is present with Christ. 
And so Paul is wanting to say hope covers grief. Hope covers loss. Hope covers every situation you can be in for, for believers and for people that know Christ. He says, and he, he gives the basis for that in verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And the foundation for our hope, the foundation of knowing that even if we die, God will, re- will resurrect us. We will be with him forever. Our spirits will be re- reunited with a heavenly body, and we will spend eternity with Christ. The foundation for that is he's already done it. He's already done it with Jesus. Jesus died and was resurrected. Death was defeated. Sin was defeated. And so that is the foundation for this understanding and this hope. For since we believe, probably is is like we sang in the song, this we believe, I believe in God the Father, I believe in God the Son. He's quoting here a creed that the early church would say. And their creed was Jesus died and rose again. And so we have hope. And that's the, the, the pattern that we have. You know, so, so, so when we come together, when, when we're at a memorial for a believer, we can look at each other and say, this is hard, I'm going to miss them. But Jesus rose again, and so will they. Jesus rose again, and so will we. And that is the hope that Paul begins with. And he just jumps right in, right? This is, he just jumps right into his main point. Even though someone's passed away, if they knew Christ, they're going to be resurrected and with him forever. And that is a, a wonderful statement. Some different things about verse 14 there. We believe Jesus died and rose again. Even so, through Jesus, and so the idea here is through the work of Jesus, through his death on the cross, the blood that was shed for our sins, the forgiveness of sins, that is why we can know that resurrection can come for believers. And, and, and I've got I've to just stop here for a moment and talk to those that may be watching that don't know Christ. The, the good news of the gospel is that if you know Christ, your sins are forgiven, the penalty for sin has been taken, and you can spend eternity with God. But I urge you, if you don't know Christ, there is no other way. There is no other way to eternal life. There is no other way to hope. And if, if we don't know Christ, then there is no hope for the future. And that, that sounds harsh to say, but that's the truth. And if we want to understand the good news of what Jesus offers us and wants to bring us and wants to adopt us into his family, we have to understand the other side offers nothing. The other side offers, if you pass away, if you die, there is no hope of a reunion with God, at least not a positive one. The only future is experiencing the wrath of God. And so Paul, as he does, he works in the gospel into everything because the gospel is a foundation for everything. He says, here's your hope. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. There's all kinds of of discussion. What does that mean? God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Does that mean that he's going to bring with Jesus at the resurrection those that have have died and and resurrect them? And, And that might be part of it. But where we're going to go in the text, and he's talking about the event we would call the rapture, it really looks that, that like Jesus, when he returns, is going to bring with him the souls of the saints that have passed away. 
And at that point, there's a resurrection, and we're going to get to that. At that point, when Jesus returns, the rapture happens. The dead in Christ will rise first. We already read that. And their, their souls and bodies are reunited at that first resurrection, and we're all reunited. And so I think the best way to understand this text is it's, it's referring to those saints that have died before. And, and that's the hope, that's the encouragement that, that is, Paul is saying is they're not gone. They're, they're not um, resting until, until God returns. They are with Jesus now. And when Jesus comes back, they're going to come with him like this grand procession, like the, this majestic event. And he will resurrect their bodies and, and we will see each other. And so there's so much hope that is infused in these verses. Imagine for me with an, uh, for a moment. Imagine if you're at the church at Thessalonica and you think that your mom who has passed away is gone. You think you will never see her again. And you think that even though she knew Jesus because she couldn't hold out till he returned, that, that her life is over. And imagine if you read this for the first time. And Paul's saying, well, no, actually, she's with Jesus right now. And she's going to come back with Jesus when he comes to get you. That would be an amazing revelation for someone there. The, and, and the picture here is when Jesus comes back to get us and brings all of the saints that have come before, it's, it's just this giant celebration. It's like when we go pick up someone from the airport. Well, maybe not right now, but when we can again, and they've been gone for a while. I mean, do you just have one person go and pick them up, or is it like the whole family that goes because you're excited? And and that's the picture here: is the whole family that has gone before, the whole brothers and sisters in Christ, comes with Jesus to grab us out of this world. What a blessed passage! And so Paul here is giving a hope even in grief, a hope even in death. And he's contrasting here Christian hope instead of pagan despair. Listen to the difference. And these are people that wrote at the time of Paul. This is a a pagan poet that's right before Paul. He says, hopes are for the living, the dead have no hope. Thank you for that. That's, That's helpful. But the early church said, And if any righteous man among them passes from the world, they rejoice and offer thanks to God, and they escort the body as if he were setting out from one place to another. Isn't that a difference? That is what Paul is getting at here. We have hope in death. We don't despair as we would without Jesus, but because of our walk with Jesus, we have hope. Then he goes on, in 15 through 18, to to talk about this event, to talk about the return of Jesus Christ. And this is where we'll get into the weeds a little bit with the rapture. But again, the big picture is hope, and we want to understand how this gives hope. And so we come to 15 through 17. I'll read those passages, and then we'll, we'll dive into them. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, 
and so we will always be with the Lord. Amen? And that, that gets me going. I'm excited. Like, come, Lord Jesus, come. But this is talking about when Christ comes back for his church, for believers. And, and there's a lot of debate of what we're talking about here. And, and, and I'll take a moment and just talk about that. In your notes, I have a section called The Rapture. Because I think it's helpful to understand the rapture, to, to helping understand the text. But here's point number two, before we dive into that. We have an expectant hope because all believers will be part of Jesus' coming for a glorious reunion. If you notice, all throughout that, Paul keeps saying, this applies to the dead, this applies to the living. If you knew Christ when you passed away, you have the same promises as if you know Christ now. And he's constantly giving that hope. We have an expectant hope because all believers, living or dead, all believers will be part of Jesus' coming for a glorious reunion. And part of this point and part of the hope there is the idea of reunion that we see in this text. Because the dead are, are raised and the living join them. And there is an amazing reunion of those that have passed away that knew Jesus and those that know Jesus now. A reunion like no other. I mean, you've been to some big family reunions. This is going to take the cake. And so we can look forward to that. But, but what's he talking about here? And, and, and why this is so complicated and why there are so many different views in the church and in, in different um, beliefs and different distinctives is we have this concept of the day of the Lord. The Lord is returning, right? And throughout the Old Testament, it talked about the day of the Lord. And in, in the New Testament, the thing is, the day of the Lord is actually a, a sequence of events. It's actually a time period where there's parts of, of what God is doing in the day of the Lord. And, and we've talked about this with prophecy. Remember the mountain ranges of prophecy? And when you look at a mountain range, you see some that look far off, some that are closer. You can't really tell the gaps between. And you would say, that's a mountain range, the day of the Lord. But then as, as we unpack some of these texts, we find different parts of the day of the Lord or different things that happen as God brings this age to an end, judges sin, and introduces the new heaven and earth. That's all part of the day of the Lord. And so it's a sequence of events that includes the rapture, the tribulation, the second coming, the millennium, the great white throne judgment, the new heaven, and the new earth. And your head might be swimming right now. We're not going to cover all those today. On the back of your notes, or if you downloaded the notes, there's a chart that we call a prophecy timeline or end times timeline, and it talks about that. And today we're going to focus on the first part of that, the rapture. I don't know, do we have that timeline? We do. And so we have the church age, which is what we're in now, off to the left, but then the rapture, and the question mark means we don't know when this is going to happen. Pastor Andrew will talk about that a little more next week and tell us when it's going to happen, or actually he's going to tell us what Paul says about when it's going to happen. But we don't know when this is going to happen, but you see 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, and 17, this is when Jesus comes back for his church and removes them from the face of this planet. And it's going to be a glorious day like we sung about. And so the text we have today looks like it's talking about the rapture. Again, there are different views. Some say this is talking about the second coming. There are different ways of interpreting this. But we as a church interpret this as talking about the rapture and that it comes before the tribulation and comes before the millennium. But these are things we hold with open hands. And I'll explain that in a moment. 
a definition of the rapture that I have. I don't know if I put this in your notes or not. Um, when Jesus returns and takes believers that have already died, followed by those who are alive, into God's presence. Let me repeat that. When Jesus returns and takes believers that have already died, followed by those who are alive, into God's presence. You've already heard me shorten it to say Jesus comes to earth and takes his church out of the earth. That's the rapture, and that can happen at any time. And that is what we look forward to. Wouldn't it be cool if that happened today? This afternoon? If, if we're, we're, we're having our Mother's Day lunch in the beautiful scenery of our backyard, and, um, and suddenly God returns, and we are with him in glory, and we're with every believer that has ever, ever believed in Jesus, that is the rapture, and that's something we get excited about. A couple of things, and I put these at the bottom of the, the first page of your notes. In our church's beliefs, in our doctrinal statement, we have two different kinds of beliefs. We have essential beliefs that we would say are absolutely clear in Scripture that you cannot deny those and be a, a believer, we would argue. And then we have distinctive beliefs that we recognize we might all disagree on, and I might disagree with Justin, or I might disagree with Joshua on, but we can still be brothers in the faith, and we can still have communion. And so those are two types of different beliefs. Now, as a church, our, our essential belief that is absolutely clear in Scripture is the return of Jesus. He's coming back. Rest on it. Take that to the bank. He's coming back. And the way we word that is we believe in the blessed hope, the imminent, personal, bodily, visible return of the Lord Jesus Christ to earth. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. That's essential. That's clear in Scripture. Now, and the distinctive, the distinctives and things that godly men and women disagree on are when it happens and exactly how it happens and which events are, are, are on top of each other. And so on that, we would say we believe in the rapture of the church, that Christ will return before the tribulation, that seven-year period where his wrath is going to pour out on this planet, before the tribulation, before the establishment of the millennial kingdom for his redeemed ones. We believe in his subsequent return to earth with his saints to establish his millennial kingdom. Now, again, that whole statement can be confusing. If you've never heard any of this before, you're like, Pastor Ron, you're talking some weird stuff this morning. And that's why we have the chart. And, and I think what you have to do is sort of study each piece one at a time as you fit it into a bigger whole because we can't cover each of these in depth in one morning. But the rapture is what this section appears to be talking about. One of the reasons we think that is in verse 17 and if you jump to verse 17, we're looking at 15 to 17 together. It says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. And I would underline the words caught up. Okay, that's the key word to understanding what this event is. Um, in the Greek, it's harpazo. And, and it's the idea of being snatched away quickly, to be caught up, to be rescued from danger, which is, is one of our, our points that's coming to be rescued from danger, to be taken away by force. So it's not something the person being taken away is aware of. Someone else takes them away. Um, or to move someone to a new place. Poof, you move. The word is also used, remember the story of Philip and the eunuch in, in Acts? And Philip goes to the eunuch and he shares with him the gospel. The eunuch says, well, hey, there's some water. Why, why don't I get baptized? Philip baptizes them. Do you know what happens next? 
it's, it's a really cool part of the story. He disappears and shows up in another city because his work was done there. The same exact word is used of God snatching him out of that situation, placing him in the other situation. Sometimes I'm like, what, what did he feel during that time? What did he think? I mean, was it like this tunnel? No, I don't know. Okay, that's, that's, that's not for this morning. But that helps us understand what this passage is talking about, that God, that Jesus, when he comes, will snatch the church, will take the church out of their current circumstances, out of where they are, and they will meet Christ in the air. Now, in case you're wondering, okay, where do we get the word rapture? As the Bible was translated, and early on it was translated into Latin, the Latin word for this, this word harpazo is rapturo. I don't know if you can see a connection there. And so from the Latin, we get rapture. And sometimes people say, well, the word rapture isn't in there. Well, actually, it is in caught up. And, and it's just in Greek and then Latin. And we, we, we have translations. And so we look at that word, and that is, is what we believe is happening here, that God is going to come and snatch his church from this Genesis 3 world into glorious reunion with him. Now, we believe this is before the tribulation, and that goes with the rescue motif you have in the definition there, um, saved from wrath. We're going to look at some verses about that in a moment, um, and, and that it could happen any time. All of that requires it to be before the tribulation. I, I have friends who believe it happens in the middle of the tribulation because the tribulation is three and a half years of peace and then relative peace and three and a half years of, of war and wrath. And they're like, well, in the middle there, that's when Jesus comes back and snatches his church. I have other friends that believe this all happens after the tribulation and God comes back and snatches his church then. Maybe. You know, I'm going to hold to a pre-trib view until the tribulation starts. And if I'm still here, we're going mid-trib. And, and, and if we're past halfway, then I'm going post-trib. Um, ultimately, it doesn't matter if we have hope that Jesus, if, if we have confident hope that Jesus is coming back and that he's got the details worked out, right? That's fun to talk about, fun to think through. And so that is the standpoint that we're coming from. Cup digging into some of these, these verses here. 15, we declare to you by a word from the Lord. And we don't know if this is part of Jesus' teaching that wasn't in the Gospels. We don't have this as an exact quote. But there were certainly other things Jesus taught that would fill volumes if we were to write them all down. Or if this was a direct revelation to Paul, which could be, uh, there's a number of things this could be. But the point is, Paul is saying, this comes with the authority of the Lord. That we who are alive and left, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The idea of we who are alive, some say, well, Paul, Paul expected it to happen in his lifetime. Paul was prepared for it to happen in his lifetime. He was hoping and looking for it to happen in his lifetime. But he also, we know from other writings, knew that he didn't know the time. Might be during his lifetime, might be not. And now we know it's not. We're 2,000 years later, and it could be today. It might be another 1,000 years. I'd love for it to be today. This week, I'd settle with. But um, I'd love for Jesus to return at any time. This idea that he can return at any time we call imminence that Christ can come back today. He could come back right now. He could come back tomorrow. And, and we don't know when. It's an event that could but does not have to occur at this very moment. And, and there's a lesson here of being prepared for Christ's coming. 
Are, do we live today like he, he could come today? Are our choices and our actions reflective of what we want to see, what we want to be doing when he returns? I, I think of this when um, maybe I'm gone at work and when Susie leaves the house, one of the questions sometimes the kids ask, and I'm going to spill our secrets here, sometimes they ask, so when will you be home? And in our mind, we know exactly what that means. That means how long can I goof off before I need to be doing what I need to be doing before mom gets home, right? And kids, your moms aren't stupid. They know when you say that what you're asking. They are smart. And, 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 but already we have this idea of if, if we know, then I only have to be faithful right then. So isn't it a beautiful thing that we don't know when Jesus is coming back? It's a motivation to be faithful, to, to be living as we should. Again, Paul here throughout this whole section is giving the encouragement that the dead aren't left out of this, those that have died with Christ. And so we have an expectant hope because all believers will be part of this. All believers will be reunited. And so we go on to read that the, those that are living will not precede. They won't come before those that have fallen asleep because there's a place of honor for them. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. And we, we here get some of the details of how he's going to come. And we're going to talk about that in the next point. But the, the, the beauty here is that he's giving them an assurance that those that have passed away are going to be able to be with Christ. It says we'll meet the Lord in the air. And that's part of the rapture in verse 17. We, we meet the Lord in the air. And the wording there is used often of an image of a coming king a dignitary, and there would be this procession that would meet him and praise him and give him honor. And so this delegation would come, and then we know from John that he takes that delegation to his home in heaven, to their homes in heaven. Now some say that delegation comes back to earth. Those are my, my, my post-trib brothers. And, but, but the wording here makes it look like Jesus comes, snatches us away, and then takes us all back to to beautiful communion in heaven. In John 14, 2 and 3, we read, in my Father's house are many rooms. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples, comforting them. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and that's what we're talking about here, I will come again, will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And Jesus is saying, I've been preparing a place for you. I'm going to come. I'm going to get you. I'm going to take you to that place. Amen? That gives an amazing amount of hope. So as we continue to, to really unpack these same verses and understand the, the rapture a little bit more, point number three, we have a confident hope because Jesus himself will come with power and authority to rescue believers out of this world. Can you think of anything in this world we might need rescue from? joke. Yeah, this is a fallen world. There's a lot to be rescued from here. And, and that's just the circumstances that are around us. Ultimately, it's rescued from the, the, the sin that controls so much of this world and affects so much of this world and being rescued into eternity with Christ in righteousness and holiness. 
but we see in verse 16, we have a confident hope of Jesus coming in power and authority. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. You can't say that with a cry of command. No, no, with a cry of command. And, and this is a, a command of authority, quite possibly saying, dead, rise, come to me like he did with Lazarus. We, we don't know what it is, but there's this cry of command, an authoritative, loud shout. It was used of a charioteer with his horses. It was used of a hunter with his hounds or a ship's master to the rowers, a commander to his soldiers. And so there's this, always this, this sense of authority. And so Jesus will come and descend from heaven with a cry of command, of authority, of power, with the voice of an archangel, which is, is really cool. The only archangel we actually have a name of identified as an archangel in Scripture is Michael. There, but but we, we do know from other Scriptures there's more. But pretty cool. An archangel is coming with him and also adding his voice into this. And then the sound of the trumpet of God is next. And the trumpet was often associated with um, divine activity, with royalty, with power. Mount Sinai, do you remember Mount Sinai? Where Jesus comes, or God comes rather, and there's thunder and lightning and God's presence is there. It says there were trumpets. It was used from, from the Old Testament on to represent God showing up. God showing up. Joel 2.1, a prophecy says, Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming it is near. And, and Paul knew these texts and that, that this would be announced with a trumpet and, and now he's reiterating God's word and helping us understand the trumpet means God shows up. It's used to gather God's people. It's used to prepare us for worship or battle. Now we don't know if these three things are, some say these are all referring to the same thing. Um, others, and I would agree with them, think these are three different things that all happen at the same time. I don't think we're describing God's shout as a trumpet. I think those are two different things. Whatever it is, it's a proclamation that the king is here. The king is here. There is no mistaking it. There will be no mistaking it. It will be incredible. It will be better than any off-field movie scene you've ever seen. Even in like Rise of Skywalker when there's this fleet of two million ships and like, whoa, it'll be better than that. Sorry, I geeked out a little bit there for a minute. Um, it will be a spectacle like no other because the God of the universe shows up and wants everybody to know that. And that verse goes on and to say, and the dead in Christ will rise first. This is the start of the first resurrection and we can get into that. The second resurrection is the great white throne judgment for unbelievers and where they are judged. The first resurrection is for believers and it begins here. Those that are already in Christ, dead in Christ, those that have chosen to follow Christ. And again, as we talk about the hope here, this is for those that have chosen to follow Christ. And if you haven't, choose today to follow Christ. And so combined with, we know that the word for snatching us out is to rescue us out of the situation. God is coming with power and authority and showing up and rescues us out of this dark world. And we should look forward to that, and that should give us hope. Because that means no matter what circumstances we are in, it's going to end better. No matter what happens, God is in control, and God has this. 
This happens quickly. The trumpet sounds and we are, we are snatched, we are removed from this life. J- Joshua read 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, we shall not all die, same, same metaphor there, but we shall all be changed in a moment. And that's when we are changed, when we are raptured from this earthly body to a heavenly body. Those that are, are, have already died receive their new bodies. We are all changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Oh, that, 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 that makes the hair stand up because that's going to be so amazing. We're rescued to, to Jesus' very presence. Now we can talk a little bit more. I know we're running out of time, but we can talk about some other verses because there's a number of verses that talk about Jesus rescues his church from the coming wrath. And certainly that means ultimate wrath of heaven or hell and, and the, the penalty for sin. But as we look at, at 1 Thessalonians 1.10 and 5.9, that God hasn't destined us for wrath. It certainly includes his wrath pouring out on this world. Revelation 3.10 and 11, I think, is one of the clearer verses on that. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming to the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon, the imminence of Christ's return. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. And in those verses, we see that Jesus, he's going to pour out his wrath on this earth, but he wants to take his church before that and rescue from us, from that. You know, as I think of even how to apply this idea of, of God rescuing us and, and, and coming with power and authority I think a, a word for us today is not to give in to the worry and anxiety that is happening all around us. I know if you watch news and if you watch a, a couple of certain stations, you're going to be so scared and so anxious by the end of watching that for an hour that you're just going to want to dig a hole and crawl into it. That is not from God. God says, I've got this. I'm going to rescue you out of this world when the time is right. I'm going to sustain you in this world while you're here. I've got this. You don't have to be afraid. And so, village, don't give in to worry at this time. Don't give in to anxiety. We're either going to be promoted out of this world or rescued from this world. Death or or rapture, either one, we're with Christ. And he knows his timing. And so don't give in. As, As I watch and talk to people, I can so clearly see that those that, that don't have an understanding of God and don't have an understanding of this role in the world, they're scared. And so there are people that are very scared right now through the pandemic and through everything going on. But then I watch those that know God and know, understand salvation and understand the gospel, and they're hopeful because they know that God is at work. That paradigm applies to every situation we face. Two other points just to end the passage. So we've sort of talked through everything I wanted to talk through, but I think there's a couple of little principles I want to get out. Point number four, we have joyful hope because we will spend eternity in communion with the Lord. And this is just a little phrase at the end of verse 17, but don't miss it. Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together, will be snatched away with them in the clouds, a joyous reunion, it'll be amazing, to meet the Lord in the air, and then this, this phrase should bring hope. And so we will always be with the Lord. 
Again, if, you're, if, you're, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, I would underline always. Because it doesn't say, then we'll sometimes be with the Lord. And, and it'll, be, it'll be cool and it'll be a little better. It says, we will always be with the Lord. So when this happens, the end of time, we will never experience a distance from Jesus again, a separation from Jesus. We will never have a dry time spiritually. We will be with God in his presence. This is a big promise. This is an amazing promise. One of the commentaries, I love this, said, you know, Paul doesn't even go on to describe this much because it stands alone. So we will always be with the Lord. Just meditate on that for a minute. What an incredible promise. And finally, verse 18, the passage ends with, therefore encourage one another with these words. And this is why I would say that this verse is more about hope and encouragement than the rapture. Encourage one another with these words. Actively be talking to each other, consoling and comforting. Death isn't the end for believers. It's a transition. It's a graduation. The future is incredible for those who believe and follow Jesus. And so we're to be encouraging each other with these words, lifting each other up, having a hope in what Jesus has done and what he's going to do and that nothing can change that. And so many times I've seen the church take this text and use it as an opportunity for, to divide and argue about when this happens and how it happens. No, this text is to unite and to encourage and to bring hope that Jesus is coming back. Could be today, could be 100 years, but he's coming back. And whether we pass away, whether we die now, or whether we're alive, we are going to be with him and we're going to be with all of our other family members, spiritual family members in Christ. I end with this. One man was, was um, asked some questions about the death of his wife. And it had been a, a few weeks, and he said, someone said, I hear you lost your wife. I'm very sorry. And his response was this. No, no, I didn't lose her. You can't lose something when you know where it is. And I know where she is. And certainly there was grief there, but that's grief infused by hope. May we have that hope in these days, and may the world see a hope that is different. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us a glimpse of what is happening in the future, that you've got this, that you're in control, that you're going to reunite us with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to be with you for all eternity, Lord. I pray that that would give us hope in death, in difficult circumstances, Lord. Hope when we are discouraged. Lord, encourage us with these things. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your promises. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Mother's Day, moms. And I hope you have a great day and get some good lunch. And kids, treat your moms well. Have a great day.